0: How do we build in the forge? Is is that an anvil? <laughs> it's yeah, that, that's a hammer and anvil I've got. It's tongs and like a hot horseshoe, right?
1: Uh, yep, and one of those uh, billows. A bellows. A billows. A bellows. <laughs> <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Stacks in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan, And welcome to episode 191 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're headed to the
0: library so the GM can dump a lot of lore in our laps. But we're actually excited about it because it's going to be a great session. But first, the rogue traders attend another dinner party in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the bookworm can't wait to get its claws into a dusty tome in the Character Creation Forge. Gather round, travelers, to hear our tale. Venture Maidens is an actual play 5th edition podcast made by four longtime friends and lifetime gamers. We take our role playing as seriously as we keep our bulges tasteful. So if you're looking for an epic high fantasy tale spun by a
1: killer cast, give us a shot. We publish new episodes every other week and live stream our game recordings on Twitch. Now get on out there and download Venture Maidens wherever
0: podcasts are free. Hope to see you in the community. And don't forget to venture away.
1: All right. So before we get started, um, do have a bit of news, um, some good news and some bad news. So unfortunately, one of our uh, longtime friends of the show, uh, Jeff Aldrich, who's one of the hosts of the System Mastery podcast, uh, has taken ill. Um, He recently had a daughter and um, more recently has found himself in the hospital with a frankly terrifying blood pressure. Um, something that he described or the doctor described as the resting heart rate of a cocaine addict Which he is not No, <laughs> he's not <laughs> <laughs> um, So anyway, it's it's a really scary time for somebody who's been a friend of our show He's actually the person who pulled together um the original draft of the Character Creation Forge for us He listened to every single episode to pull all of that information out
0: Unfortunately, Jeff needed to decide between getting health insurance for his newborn daughter or for himself, and he chose his daughter. Which is a good choice. Excellent choice, but of course that means that he is going to have exorbitant hospital bills. Uh, I think he was in the ICU for three days. Um, He's still basically on bed rest at home. Right. So there is a GoFundMe. We've got the link in the show notes, but it is uh, bit.ly slash livingmastery.
1: Yeah, uh he's set a goal of twenty five thousand dollars. He's very, very close to that goal. Um almost uh actually now four hundred people have donated to him. Um a- amongst which include us. Um but you know, if you have anything extra to give, Jeff has been um just a great person in this community and um if you've got a way to support him, if if you have a few extra dollars, I, I know he would really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Um even if he does hit that goal, like, please continue to give, because that's just an arbitrary number. The His actual hospital bills are probably going to be much higher than that. Uh, for those of you outside the United States, we don't have universal health care here.
1: Yeah. The overwhelming response has been, I'm Canadian, I don't understand, or, yeah. oh no, oh no, here's money. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I mean, this is a, a decision, I think, or this is a dice roll that a lot of us have made in the past. Like, I went without health insurance for 10 years, and like... I fortunately got out of it with just a couple broken bones that never got set, um, which is far better than the position Jeff is in right now. So, you know, whatever anyone can do will help a lot.
1: So onto to the good news. Um, launching this week is the Kickstarter for the 2019 edition of A Catacomb which is one of my favorite conventions and one that I have attended every year except for the year where I missed my flight and could not get there. It is definitely your favorite convention in Ohio. (laughs) It is 100% the only convention I would go to in Ohio. (laughs) Um, so it is occurring on November 8th through November 10th of 2019. That's Friday to Sunday in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, Michael, um, the host of the RPG Academy podcast, puts it on and organizes it. There's usually hundreds of people in attendance, uh, but in order to raise money to book the venue and different things, he runs a Kickstarter to pre-sell badges. So um, if you would like to attend, it's a great way to get a badge um, a little bit cheaper than you would uh, through the regular sales. If you'd like to sponsor it in some way, which is another thing we usually do, um, you know, you can have your name on a tabletop or in the um, program, different things like that
0: so there's a link in the show notes if you're interested uh so now back to more bad news shane where are we in the dynasty unwarranted campaign so the dynasty
1: unwarranted campaign is our warhammer 40k rogue trader game played using dark heresy second edition rules by fantasy flight games and on the death world iblis prime in the frontier city of meridian the rogue traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the holy throne of terra and profit. And after tracing the sabotage uh, in their minds back to the Technogangers, the crew have switched from rogue mode to trader mode and are now preparing for the pending arrival of a small Kroot fleet.
0: Yes, this is one of the benefits of being rogue traders in that we can have these kinds of interactions with horrible, terrible Xenos. Oh, yes. Uh, the crute. if you don't recall, are small. Are they small? They seem they're, small. They look pretty like small. Co- cobalt shape. Yeah, uh, but they're like reptilian avian pack hunters uh, mm-hmm. with really good weapons. Yep. Which Trank is excited for. Uh, and they also eat people.
1: Yeah, their their whole deal is that they absorb the DNA of various species that they hunt in order to make themselves uh, better hunters.
0: Right, which is not how digestive tracts work, but whatever.
1: Well they have uh, like their their mages basically do that. They use the warp for this.
0: Yes, they have tiny mages in their stomach lining. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, upon arrival uh of the Kroot fleet, the His Enduring Light immediately hails them for an audience and they're granted one. So, the Rogue Traders uh, are accompanied by their full honor guard, as well as their Dark Eldar bosun, Sarath, who you may recall is a, a former Dark Eldar incubus who decided to come along with them in their very first um, prison escape adventure.
0: Right. And who now runs... Um, discipline. The, yeah, the discipline detail on the ship. Or, or at least punishment. <laughs> right. <laughs> Look, most, most people get out alive.
1: Right. Most people keep their limbs mostly intact.
0: So the crute, uh, of course, not being uh, shaped in the glorious form of man, are blunt. They're a bit insulting, honestly, although they're they're polite about it. Uh, And they're they're kind of preening, almost like uh,
1: grown-up birds. Mm -hmm. Um, And they... (sighs) You, didn't, you weren't ready for this, I think, when you first got on board, and then you were immediately reminded of this fact by Echo. Um, but crude humor is extremely driven by irony. Um, so naturally, they offer the rogue traders a banquet in their honor, uh, wherein they serve some of the most exquisite and rare preparations you have ever seen of what is almost certainly human flesh. This uh, Well, it smells really good, which is not... Which is very disconcerting. Very unsettling. <laughs> it's not unsettling to one person, though. Uh, Sareth, <laughs> yeah. the bosun, who is enthusiastically appreciative of this. I mean, he
0: doesn't really see us as people, so it's not <laughs> cannibalism right. to him. Which no. uh, he's a little disappointed by.
1: Right. <laughs> uh, and as the crew stare expectantly, um, enjoying the looks on your faces as you slowly realize what they've served you, uh, your rogue trader, Silva Lionheart, uh does not shy away uh in fact in order to prove her mettle she sits there and calmly one bite by bite eats her dinner uh while conducting negotiations
0: yeah uh the rest of us mm, we drink the wine that's about it exactly yeah. <laughs> Uh, of course, you know we're hungry now, but dinner still proceeds, and we begin to come to some loose terms uh, for a trade
1: of our ore that
0: we've been able to mine, as well as corpses of emerald stalkers.
1: The genetic material, right? Like that's right. that's the value of the emerald stalkers, right?
0: So they can consume it uh, in exchange for crude weapons, which are really nice. But it does reach a snag when the crude, at the very last minute, uh. Decide that we need to throw in the honor guard on our
1: part of the deal. Yeah, like just all of them. Just leave them here; they'll be yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. They're ours now.
0: Nothing bad will happen to them.
1: So, uh, this was one of the most entertaining debates that you guys have deliberated on uh, in in the course of Rogue Trader, um, both telepathically and out loud. Uh, all of you are weighing in on the literal value of a pound of flesh. Um, and trying to weigh that against damage to morale and morality as it were
0: this was yeah a very strange conversation for me to be having because for the very first time trank is sort of like the one who's putting a stake in the ground and saying no this is the line we're going no further
1: (laughs) yeah we will we will not condemn a hundred some odd honor guard armsmen to their deaths
0: well, I mean, I don't have a problem with that. It's that. Well, <laughs> I won't by, sell them, death, right? To be eaten by Xenos, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> I mean, if they're if they were being sold for some other purpose, I don't but, know. Maybe you would happily sacrifice them to fight these Xenos in a in a losing gambit, but oh, you would absolutely. not sacrifice them for profit.
0: Yeah, I will say, attack right now, and we will all die hero. Well, they will all die heroically. <laughs>
1: the the human resources department would not approve of of wasting our human resources. <laughs>
0: right i mean all
1: their gear too really <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of guns <laughs> so ultimately uh you guys did decide that you were not willing to leave the honor guard behind
0: i'm pretty sure trank like insisted that he
1: would start shooting some people
0: if we tried to leave the honor yeah. guard behind to the ridiculous xenos and their weird heresy
1: right you would have had to leave the honor guard and trank behind so the crew um, do allude to the fact that they intend to take another meeting with a major trade partner and ultimately you guys let the deal collapse, right? Like you're just unwilling to, to cross that line, um, but decide that what you can do is foil their trade negotiations with their other partner and then revisit the crew um, to get more favorable terms.
0: Yeah, if we can't have this trade deal, nobody will have this trade deal.
1: I I love this. I think this is the most rogue traderly thing you've done, which was like, cool. We walked away from the deal because we weren't going to make a bad one. And then we pivot to, but you're not going to get a deal out of this anyway. You'll be back.
0: Yeah, this is one of those situations where I think both sides were a little surprised at the way that the negotiation panned out, but then it spun out into something more interesting. So like, I think you were confused at first that, that we wouldn't just give over the armsmen.
1: I was, yeah. I was very surprised by that. You draw weird moral lines.
0: Yeah, yes. <laughs> it was sort of nice to find out where Trank's line actually was. He was like, wait, wait, no, no. That's that's a terrible idea. We're not doing that. And then I think we were surprised that the crew wouldn't give in. Like They they were like, no, we want the armsmen. And we thought, alright, we'll push back. We'll negotiate in some way. We'll give them something else that they want. But there wasn't anything else they wanted. They like wanted to humili- humiliate us by taking the armsmen. Mm-hmm. We said, oh, no. No, we don't get humiliated
1: when we can help it yeah no that was that was the most surprising thing i think was i mean for me i knew there was a chance you rejected it and i kind of had some ideas of what could go on next um but i don't think we've ever had that sort of thing in an rpg where we typically like move forward the plot seems to be like gaining momentum in this direction and then it's just like it falls apart like it just fails, right? And now we we've got to like regroup and figure out what do we do next? And you guys pivoted real quickly, which I was really proud of. But like usually in games you don't let that happen, right? Yeah, like, it was it
0: was a nice like uh, there wasn't meta chatter. It was it was a nice like in-character moment of no, we're not doing this. Okay, what do we do? Well, I know, let's screw them. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we could still get what we want here. We just had to go a more roundabout way. <laughs> So at any rate, um, the crew are disappointed, but remain exceedingly polite and offer you a parting gift of, uh, as you mentioned, shall we call it mysterious jerky, uh, which is accepted gleefully by Sarath. Yeah. So later that night, Echo and Flare have returned to the His Enduring Light, and they examine the Vox traffic and identify the most likely major buyer, the Watchtower. I will say
0: very quickly that this is one of the benefits of playing a game where you're not out trying to save the universe, where, you know, you can just get derailed and now we'll just undertake a revenge mission because, you know, why not? We're not on a timeline where everybody dies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, until, until you are. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely gonna, it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll find out exactly how next week. So this week, we are talking about going to the library, which is a great deal of fun in pretty much any game, Uh, but it's sometimes hard to pull off because we've got a question from listener, Chris. He says, so one of the challenges of campaigns that incorporate politics, history, and prophecies, looking at you, Eberron, is that there's so much story and information to get into your PC's hands and heads. But my episodes in the Regal Library of Regalport are, despite the drow librarian and his dog-sized scorpion, not as exciting or revelatory as I would like them to be. And I don't want to just use, quote, the library as a gigantic clearinghouse for
1: plot hooks. He continues, Listening to the Morning Glory recaps, you often mention trips to the library. I think it would be a great show to hear how you handled these, made them interesting and exciting, and conveyed information to your players without having them just make investigation, history, arcana, or religion checks, and then just handing over exposition.
0: Chris is right here in everything except that it will be a great show.
1: Uh, Right. (laughs) It'll be a thoroughly (laughs) mediocre show. Here we are. (laughs) Welcome to the middle third. The middle of a middling show. (laughs) Right. Right. All right, so um, let's kind of break this into how we did it um, in our games, and it's not just Morning Glory, right? We've we've definitely had library sessions in our, our long running Dark Zone game, as well as even in um, Road Trader. So we can kind of draw from all those examples, um, and then I think there's probably a few other tips that we can talk about that haven't necessarily applied to us, um, but would be good to keep in mind.
0: Yeah, I think it was surprising, sort of, you know, looking back through our games that we played, like how often we do go to the library or undertake research like yeah as a group all of us are, are like uh, i don't know maybe we should look into this uh can we make some knowledge
1: checks yeah well i think that's actually um a common theme for the games that we play is that knowledge exists but often it's been lost or sequestered or needs to be like rediscovered right like it's not necessarily a quest for true discovery it's a quest of figuring out what what civilization has already figured out Uh, and then just advancing that
0: yeah this i mean this is sort of part and parcel of most of the settings that a lot of us play in right if you play a fantasy setting probably there's a long lost knowledge from the ancient days or the first age of the world if you're in a post-apocalyptic setting like you know how how did the world end and like what lost technology was there
1: it, it comes up a lot if you're playing 40k it's both right <laughs> uh as well as lots of knowledge that hasn't been lost but has been actively sequestered in order to prevent people from gaining access to it right which is basically the role of the inquisition
0: yeah and you have this uh built-in antagonist slash um occasional ally in whatever organization is sequestering that information you know it it might be at some point like uh the party needs that information and it's helpful to the people who are keeping it hidden. Uh, And, you know, in the early parts of the game, they're, they're certainly doing their best to prevent it from getting out.
1: Yep. So one of the ways that we often incorporated this was that the library usually ended up being part of a knowledge or religion check we made. Um, And it was like, you don't know the answer to that question, right? You don't know what this is, but you do know the place that would probably have the answer, Right. Um, so either the players would ask the question and, and roll the check for where can we go to find this, or the GM would put it forward as like, "Oh yeah, you've never heard of this. Like you, you have no idea what the Red Hand Syndicate is. But if there's any place that would have records about necromantic organized crime, it's the Royal Library in Reckonmark."
0: Yeah, this is uh, a great way to kick this information down the road when as a gm you have no idea what it is Mm -hmm. (laughs) your players like oh i'm gonna make them some knowledge checks and you're going yeah all right i'm familiar with this lore no big deal they do do really well and you're going oh crap um i don't remember or wow i really need to look in this or i have no idea because i haven't created this yet you know what (laughs) let's let's take a little trip to the library that is in another city and when you get there there will be information (laughs) right yeah
1: (laughs) i bet you'll get there roughly "Mm, next session (laughs) uh and then the other way um that we we kind of access this a lot is through downtime activities right so for my character and morning glory brand that was something that i just invested a lot of my downtime in developing was the library as a resource for the party uh mostly by regaining my permission to access the library <laughs> as a as a member of the inquisition,
0: right very quietly <laughs> uh did they remove my pass when they exiled me right. no they weren't that thorough, okay, good.
1: It's called excommunicated all right, it's a religious organization. <laughs>
0: yeah and using library time as a downtime activity prevents uh your main session from getting bogged down in constant trips to the the library so you can have um a game that is really steeped in lore and lore that needs to be unearthed uh, but you can just sort of have one person doing that or you know everybody doing it but in between sessions so that you don't have to role play it out every single time you can just do it the first few times or when there are actual interactions in the physical library
1: yeah so another way that we make the library kind of more of a, more of an exciting thing is to make access to the library a reward, right?
0: Yeah, I think the first task is usually finding the library, right? It, there's that
1: initial check
0: and you're finding, oh, which library do I need to go to? Okay, that's relatively simple. But in something like 40K, there's the black library inside the webway, right? Uh, yep. Where like all this information is stored and like one, people don't even really know it exists. But like if it does exist, where the hell is it? Mm -hmm. But even if it's like a normal library, it's like the grand library in the middle of the city and you can just walk in, you're not always necessarily guaranteed access, at least not to all the stacks and and probably not to the restricted section, like a la Harry Potter.
1: Right. Yeah. So you might have some type of encounter in order to even gain that access, right? There might be um, guards or docents or librarians or whomever inside, um, or likewise, gaining the knowledge within the library might be punishable itself, right? Like, knowing the knowledge of the restricted section might make you a traitor or a heretic or whatever that prevents you from being able to continue to exist normally in society.
0: Yeah, this is a good chance uh, for you to bring in the entire party. Like, you may very well have party members who do not care about the library and, like, understand that the information contained in is important to the quest, but just have no skills around knowledge and are just sort of along for the ride great maybe they're the one who like lies your way into the stacks or distracts the librarian while someone is actually doing research in the forbidden section right like ron weasley is not there to do research ron weasley is there to cause a ruckus right (laughs)
1: ron weasley exists to get kicked
0: out yes (laughs) success
1: (laughs) Uh, you can also make the library a reward by uh, making it a privilege for certain characters right like for brand being an inquisitor meant he got access to the library in thrain
0: right if you have the sage background in 5th edition it might just be that you know everyone is confronted uh but you're all allowed in because oh you are a sage of course you are welcome here it's it's a nice moment for character choices to actually matter
1: and then the other way to do it is you know if you if the characters go there early on in your campaign and and get turned away because they're nobody or they don't have permission or whatever uh, later on if they come back they might now have suitable renown and they would be welcomed and you know they would they would have the right to access it that's a reward in and of itself
0: yeah you show up with like all these books in your hands and you're like you remember me I came here earlier and you wouldn't show me to the library big mistake
1: yeah here's my book toll <laughs> I've made my minimum contribution let me in the library. <laughs> Uh, so another thing we found is uh, and this is a canonical thing um, but in Dark Sun the library itself was a challenge to be in um, there's the uh, lost library underneath the city of Tyr um, which is like a sh- shifting stacks and like impossible to navigate and filled with um, crazy people who are trapped there who want to attack you and, and various other like major threats so even getting into the library to find what you need difficult and then when you're there um you know, the library itself is fighting against you,
0: right? Even the books may try to trap you inside through, you know, hypnosis or like leading you to believe the correct information is inside them. If you just look one page further, just one more page,
1: just one more page. I'm so close. It's in the index. I can see (laughs) it in the index.
0: I'm so hungry. I'm so thirsty, (laughs) but I'm almost there.
1: (laughs) This is my life now.
0: Even if the library itself isn't trying to attack your party, um, you do want to make it some sort of challenge if you're not just hand-waving or doing um, library time in downtime. Uh, You you do want people to be making checks, and you do want to have the conversation, like have people talk out loud about what it is they're looking for, what kind of connections their uh, character is making or attempting to make. Um, And then guide them in that general direction depending on the information they're giving you and the rolls on the dice. Um, Either, you know, false connections or Path that the player may not necessarily have thought of, but that become apparent to the character who's actually in the building.
1: I think that's really important when you're giving players the information, is like start from what are the players looking for right make sure that you're giving them the information that the players have said is interesting to them not just two pages of lore that you pulled out of the like the eberron source book right which is general information and maybe not relevant um you know, and the flip side, of course, if they fail on those rules or do whatever, then they might have false information or they might have difficulty or fail to find what they're looking for specifically.
0: Yeah, I think practically in this kind of scenario, what I would do is I would take information from the Ebron source book um, and then I would I would physically tailor it, like rewrite parts of it or swap some bits of lore out or add additional parts from some other section of a, of a different book, uh, specifically geared toward One, the campaign that I was creating, and then the information that the particular character slash player was looking for. So, you know, uh, Lou was looking for information about uh, the Dalkir and, like, you know, what is she and, like, what are um, the Half-Bloods? And so I, like, I put the information that I wanted her to have, and that was actually canon in the morning glory campaign into a a document that ended up being like about a page actually printed it out and like handed it as a prop in the in session. But then in game, like I talked about the highlights of that information so that one, everybody at the table understood what it was and two, so that she didn't need to just sit there reading like 500 words at the table um, and like not being part of the session.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So so two things there. One is props are awesome, um, especially if you've got information that you want the party to repeatedly reference. Right. So whether that is just a, a page of text that is all like super relevant for what they're looking for or it's like a diagram that's useful to them or like, uh, you know, a um, uh, a set of glyphs or a, a map or something like that that, they would have gotten out of their research. Like that's great for a long term reference. Um, and then the, the other thing is um, when you have players asking you those questions, right? Like as, as Lou is asking questions about the Kir or whatever, you also have to keep in mind that you know what information is necessary for the plot to progress. Um, you need to make sure you give that information to the players regardless of what they're asking for. Right. So you need to work it into the questions they're asking because, like, you don't want to punish, like, if you want to encourage the players to use the library as a resource, you don't then want to punish them for forgetting to ask the critical question that they were there for, you know, or not asking it in the right way or, or whatever. You want to keep the plot moving.
0: Yeah. Right. Like, the character has much more understanding of this particular topic. Like, they're probably obsessed with this topic and it's all they do is think about it. And now they're finding them in the library and, like, they're not going to miss, um, relevant information the player on the other hand like has a real life and maybe like hasn't been thinking about this topic for six months
1: yeah so like you know what lou was looking for was general information about Daokir and half-bloods and Zoriat and whatever um what she needed to find was the specific conditions with which to kill a certain dalkyr which she happened to find while looking for that general information now party you have what you need go forth
0: yeah, I mean, that's what happens in a real library is you're looking for information. You're like combing through relevant texts. You don't always find what you're we're looking for, but you often find what you need. Right. Like, oh, you don't see that. Like, okay, you have a great um, Arcana or history check, right? You don't see what you were looking for. Instead, you see this.
1: Right. Um, so in terms of, of how you actually share that information and, and kind of picking, piggybacking that, If the players are going through the hassle of visiting a library give them a concrete reward you know like make sure that they're clear that like either the knowledge they were looking for or the next step in the path or whatever is in their hands right they shouldn't Go through the the trouble of like going to the library and like making that the focus of a session and then be more puzzled by the information they got than when they started. Like that just discourages them from bothering with the library.
0: Yeah. Or if they are puzzled, it should be because they now have more leads than they had before and they're just not quite sure which one to follow first. Right, you shouldn't walk out of the library going, "I have no idea what to do now, and we're just as lost." It's okay. We could go to Reckonmark. Uh, we could go to Corth. We could go to Sharn, or we could try to go to the Plains.
1: Right. Yeah. You've you've got to you've got to firm up their options, uh, even if they don't have the exact answer they're looking for. And then, in terms of actually sharing the information, um, you kind of touched us, uh, touched on this on how you kind of develop the prop. But I think it's a really good idea. Um, one of the things Chris asked was, you know, how do I get all of this background lore into my players' heads when they're really focused on the current plot? And I think the answer to that is share the background and the foreground information at the same time. Right. So you have to read one sentence of background in order to get one sentence of immediate relevant foreground information. So like an example is like, you know, um, the information you gain is that a uh, hundred years ago, the king made a declaration and he was deposed 20 years ago, but a cult that was dedicated to him went to ground around that time. Um, you know, these are their markings and rituals, which sure sound very close to some of the evidence that you've gathered, right? Like now you've learned a little bit of the background of the cult that you're chasing as well as confirm that, oh yeah, this is our target,
0: right? In the library, you need to take the new information that the party is finding and connect it to the old information that they already have because players don't always have that information in their heads. Um, if you've been handing them reams of, of like actual sheets of, of text, they're not necessarily going to have memorized all that like the GM may have. So, hey, you find this new bit of information. You know what that reminds you of? Like, Be proactively. Just come out and say, it reminds you of the thing you saw six months ago. Right. In fact, you think it's the exact same thing. This is the connection you were looking for.
1: Yep. And also like sometimes you just have to go through those reminders of no, you're thinking of Vondère, we're in Breland.
0: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Like you're, you're, you're a little confused about this.
1: Silly player, you've gotten the countries completely mixed up. Let me correct you. This is not a check. You're just you're just being fright-sized.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not a problem at all to be like actually you think it's more like this other thing that is correct
1: (laughs) yeah like yeah exactly like if players are drawing the wrong conclusions because they're not quite grasping all the information you can just correct them pretty easily
0: yeah this is like um so you get this kind of scene in a lot of tv shows where there's an ensemble cast they're doing research or like aha we've discovered a new bit of information and then one person goes oh wait a minute it's just like this thing okay you can't count on someone in the party or like someone at the table on this particular like Thursday to be the person to be like, aha, I've made this connection, right? If no one does that, if no one volunteers it, the GM can just step in and make that connection because one of the like characters present makes that
1: connection. And then hopefully you're also revealing this information in a way that pulls the players in and prompts more questions, right? You want them to want more information, um, whether it's to help them on their immediate quest or because the background is so interesting, but you want them asking more questions so that you have a chance to continue giving them more data, right? More of your lore, more of your immersive setting, um, provided that they are are begging you for more information. Like now they're really into it as opposed to cool. Like I'm not going to read this five page document before we start session zero because uh, I have anything better to do with my day. And I took no knowledge skills right so i do not care you've noticed my trend huh (laughs) if there's work to do up front then i am a useful idiot (laughs) (laughs) just point me in a direction oh wow all these books to
0: burn huh well we're not here to burn these books oh well then i have nothing to offer well then i guess it's going to be a cold night at the campfire (laughs) (laughs) ron weasley out Okay, I will say though, um, if you are lucky enough to get to the point where players are uh, grasping for more information, they're really interested in the lore, be careful about giving them too much lore that then sends them off in random directions unless you're intending to do that. It's very easy in like a complicated setting like 40k or Eberron to you know have someone say, actually, well, is there a, a, a vampire that you know, we might be looking for in, in like this area of the country? it is very likely that over the last like 8,000 years, there has been a vampire there. Uh, if it's not relevant to the plot, uh, don't bring it up. Or right. like, or when you mention it, mention it as like a GM who's sort of saying in passing, oh yeah, you've heard about this thing, but you don't think it's really relevant. It doesn't seem to really fit. Not, oh yeah, yeah, there definitely was. Uh huh.
1: Yeah. I have to do that a lot in 40 K. Uh, because things come up and people remember little tidbits or whatever of of various lore from all of the various sources and it's like isn't there like a thing about the crew where they do this and i'm like okay above the table yes this is the thing that crew do here's a funny thing about them 40k is wacko um but here's what you know about the crew in character and here's what we're going to proceed for in chain's 40k universe because oh boy would it take too much if we kept going down all of these individual paths right it turns out when
0: you pay writers by the word they create a lot a lot of words (laughs) and sometimes a lot of that lore uh matches up with other stuff or reflects it or i don't know copies it
1: (laughs) okay so there was this guy named matt ward (laughs) and that guy definitely got paid by the word and he really loved ultramarines
0: (laughs) kato (laughs) sicarious
1: All right, so back to the library. Uh, another thing that we do a lot in our games is add role playing elements to the library itself right uh, Chris mentioned that he has a drow um, a drow librarian who has uh, a scorpion, dog-sized scorpion pet, which is terrifying and awesome which is cool right? you 've like you 've got the recurring npc that 's great, right the librarian or the archivist or the docent or whomever right and and the key then is to leverage. Like, make that connection with the players so that the players are excited to go, like, check in on what's going on with that weirdo drow scorpion librarian, right? Like, get invested in that person. Um, If you can make those NPCs important to the characters, then they have yet another reason to check in at the library.
0: Yeah, and this relationship evolves over time. When they first meet the librarian, um, probably the librarian is not the most helpful person. Because, like, who are you? I have no idea who you are. You just walked into my library. Um,
1: You look like adventurers, the kind of people who like to burn books. Mm -hmm. You know, you're adventurers. I bet you come across a lot of strange wares. And I just really love Andarian brandy. And I just can't get it here. It'd be a shame. You know, it'd be real nice if somebody would just bring me some Andarian brandy. Anyone. Anyone at all, really. Uh, Also, librarians are great quest givers.
0: Um, especially early on, like, I'm looking for rare books. You look like the kind of person who comes across rare
1: books. I certainly could help you if you brought me a rare book, sir.
0: That's how it works here. That's how libraries work. You give me a book, and then you can take a book.
1: Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> what, you think you can just borrow it for free? um if if you don't want the librarian gatekeeper as, as chris mentioned he doesn't want it to be just a plot hook clearing house right um you can also think like other people who use the library um might become recurring npcs so a lot of libraries are filled with students who are doing research um so they might be or just using the quiet space to study or things like that you might see the same person there multiple times and strike up some type of relationship with that npc um also Authors and artists do a lot of research in libraries, as it turns out, and they tend to have large networks and, you know, are probably in a different space from the adventurers, um, but might be able to add richness to the world because of what they're working on or, or who they're working for, who's commissioned them or something like that. Mm-hmm. And once you've seeded
0: all these NPCs, then you have the ability to later on in the campaign continue having uh, information from the library or library sessions even if the rest of the party is like off gallivanting in another galaxy or like fighting through a dungeon because you have these allies who can then do that research for the party hey found this cool thing in the library the other day weren't you looking at this cult Right? Or um like let's contact our friend, the Drow Librarian, you know, whom we have cultivated over the last like eight levels in like three and a half years and ask them to do a favor for us. Of course they will, like they're on our side and they'll get back to us in three sessions.
1: Yeah, right. Like we're headed to Storm Reach. Um but our research efforts continue with our buddy, the Drow Librarian. Right. Um, and of course, like as with any good NPCs, you can always threaten them later if you need to pull them back to the library.
0: <laughs> You know, terrible earthquake. <laughs> Canonically, <laughs> libraries
1: weak to earthquakes. So another thing that Chris suggested is a problem um, is that library sessions can feel slow or stagnate the campaign because there's no action, right? They're not, they're not really moving forward. They're kind of resetting the objectives of the group. Um, so one thing you could do there is find a way to create urgency in the library itself.
0: Right, so when you guys were running through the Pit of Five Sorrows, like literally running at top monk speed, hasted monk speed, right, on the back of your Warforce monk.
1: Trying to escape Tiamat, (laughs) or at least the guardians that keep Tiamat in her cage. Right, the people who were like, no, that's a bad Tiamat. Yeah, get out of my pit.
0: Um, Lou, of course, got distracted by uh, two locations, the Prophetic Observatory, where which is basically a library of the stars, mm-hmm. and then also the actual library um, where there were books and scrolls. I think you actually, guys actually got holed up uh, in a library w- uh, behind a wall of force. Yep. Uh, and then you had, mm, I think, maybe a minute while you were like trying to conjure a portal to get the hell out of there. But, of course, the rest of you who were not conjuring the portal were like, well, I look at the books.
1: Okay, I take anything that looks expensive or old or important. Like, right. I'll take I just, any scroll in a nice case. Him.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I stick them in this bag of holding. How many books can fit in a bag of holding Yeah, we fit five one people minute? in a
1: bag of holding. How many books can we fit in there?
0: <laughs> and at that point, it's just like I'm rolling some random dice to see how many books you get. But I know exactly which books you're getting. <laughs> right. <laughs> the ones that are useful for me also the
1: cursed books in dark sun we've actually had multiple library trips uh the first one even before we found the shifting library underneath tier was um searching for records of entry into tier which was a large library basically of um of documentation of people coming and going through the city um so we had to of course kill some guards in order to get our way in uh sneak past the uh front desk attendant who was effectively the librarian uh and then do our search to find the records we were looking for um all before anybody noticed those dead guards and decided to come looking as to what had happened
0: i mean do you remember what happened after we killed the guards
1: we killed the librarian next
0: yeah that's a bit blasphemous i think for probably most
1: of our listenership mm-hmm. I, we didn't want to but we kind of had to we had a loose end and the, the librarian was a pain playing ball with us also we're dark Sun, we're bad people
0: well that's when we were like oh we're bad
1: people (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was before we we murdered all those children for the greater good
0: (laughs) before you did (laughs) before that the party had only murdered one child
1: and its own party member uh we had the same thing in rogue trader actually um if you recall in the Verza house, while you were desperately trying to defend the ramparts from the invading um, enemies, uh, you had um, like half the party out dying <laughs> on the ramparts while Flair and Trix were in a library deep within digging through books, trying to figure out how to get this generator restarted. Right. On the combis, it's just read faster. Yeah, exactly.
0: Wait, <laughs> I think we've got it. Wait, uh, uh,
1: wait, uh, shut up. <laughs> I can't focus. <laughs> This sure looks a lot like it. Also, it looks like a, a dragon eating its own tail.
0: Now, it is probably best not to spend an entire session just doing research at the library, which is why, of course, I am a big fan of fights in the library. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Places where you can't just use fireball.
0: Uh, or you can, and man, that is fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a nice tension, actually, between like people who are looking for information, people who are trying to prevent that information from being found. One good way to do that is to just destroy it. Mm -hmm. Uh, also libraries are very easy to draw if you don't have a pre-made map oh yeah they tend
1: to be just large square rooms with tables in the middle
0: (laughs) and the stacks are just long rectangles right uh, and they're easy to tip
1: over (laughs) yes (laughs) basically a requirement if you have a fight with a map in a library
0: oh absolutely like if anyone uses fire um, a lot of things are going up uh, in smoke if anyone pushes anybody or anybody gets knocked over other stacks are going over too Uh, And, you know, even if you win that fight, well, it's not uh, arranged via the Dewey Decimal system anymore, is it? (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's
1: going to take us years to get these all back in order.
0: (laughs) And this is only probably useful in more high-level games like Birthright or or something more akin to, like, Civilization or Rogue Trader, where you're sort of uh, at a distance um, using things like Profit Factor, but you can also have a library as a reward itself. Like, if your Um, country that you are in control of now is able to build or gain uh, possession of the library of Alexandria, you will be able to, you know, create, um, new kinds of spells or, you know, your research institutions will, will be better or your profit factor increases because you're able to build, um, more, more kinds of, uh, technology because you have access to an STC.
1: Mm -hmm. So then I think some more general tips, um, You mentioned this, but keep in mind that locating the library can also be the challenge, right? Especially when you get into more fantastical things where the library might be on another continent or another plane of existence or might be displaced in time and you need to find when the library exists, not where.
0: Yeah. If finding the library is a quest in and of itself, then probably that quest is... Uh, what sort of qualifies you to enter the library, right? If you are able to find it, then you have passed the test and you are now able to access the information within.
1: You know, or alternatively, uh, the library is easy to find, but it has some exotic requirement to actually like see it or use it or or whatever, right? Some mystical thing is required in order to... To take advantage of the library
0: right the players may not even necessarily know that there's part of the library or information that they can't access it could be like hidden extra dimensionally right uh, it's a nice way to take a library that they are used to and that they've been in before and expand its capabilities later when they need it
1: and i think the the general theme here is just if the players have to earn access to the library they're going to appreciate the information they get out of it that much more
0: right and it makes it very obvious that this information is important otherwise it wouldn't have been so tough to get
1: So then also keep in mind that a library doesn't have to be a stodgy collection of books, right? Like depending on your setting, a library might serve the same function, but look a lot different. Um, You know, in like a uh, shadow run or kind of a more technologically advanced setting, it might be like a hacked server that just has terabytes of very valuable data that hasn't necessarily been combed over yet. Or I suppose it's probably in a future setting. So it's like petabytes or whatever.
0: No, the codecs are much better. Everything is condensed to much smaller bits of data. It's fine. (laughs) It's it's megabytes. They fit on uh, 1.44 floppies.
1: Oh, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You might also have like a library that exists as a group of people, right? So maybe there's a specific band of like a troop of bards who travel together who have just vast knowledge of the world and of history and of various things uh, the challenge is finding them and then getting them to actually share the information they almost certainly have with you
0: and also keeping them alive when obviously they are assassination targets
1: <laughs> yeah but they've been assassination targets for a long time <laughs> <laughs> yeah but now
0: you now you're uh now responsible. You're involved. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah i love the idea of a society uh that uses pretty much only oral tradition so like you don't reference books you have to like actually talk to a person Mm -hmm. of course it could also be just be one person who knows everything or you know knows all of the important relevant information some sort of oracle um this is book of eli basically
1: oh yeah um or i mean even in just more the greek fashion of oracle right where um they are a prophet who can speak through the or through whom the gods can speak and it just requires you know a worthy sacrifice in order to get that information
0: right they are a prophet who can inhale the volcanic fumes and interpret them <laughs> i said okay
1: greek myth <laughs> not greek history
0: <laughs> for some reason she's not an oracle anymore now that we've moved her i don't get
1: it uh, now, keep in mind, a library might exist before it is actually in the library. Uh, you know, there might be like a looted collection of occult tomes that are being collected and shipped from Paris back to Hitler in Berlin. And you could find that information if you could just get aboard that train uh, before it's locked down by the Third Reich. And then, of course, use it to defeat Hitler. I mean, I mean, we you here? could
0: hide with the books and then when Hitler opens it, hey, success.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i think to wrap this up um the the biggest tip to take away here is that you don't have to force the players into a library if they're just not enjoying it as a narrative device there are always alternative ways of getting that information to them
0: yeah there are always alternative facts
1: <laughs> yeah just make them up yep just lie um you know there's things like D has legend lore spells or bardic knowledge right um a modern setting has an iphone and wikipedia for example um You know, you don't have to make the knowledge difficult for them to get in order to keep moving your plot forward if they're not enjoying the challenge of uh, and the reward of getting that information.
0: Right. It can be easy uh, to get. You can also just remind them about particular lore when they come across it and it would be relevant or, you know, when it would uh, affect their choices in the moment. And you can also just direct that toward the players who are interested in this kind of information. Not everybody needs to be involved in it all the time.
1: All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? Shh.
0: We finally made it inside the library.
1: All right. Well, it's going to be really hard to get my character creation forge running if I can't bang my metal with a hammer or a mallet. What are they? (laughs) Anyway, whatever. Let's, Let's move on. How
0: how do we build in the forge? Is that is that an anvil? It's yeah, that's a hammer and anvil. I've got it's uh, it's tongs and like a hot horseshoe, right? Uh,
1: yep, and one that's of those uh, uh, a, billows. a bellows, a bellows, a bellows, a bellows. <laughs> uh, I do a lot of character creation forging in here. Obviously, I know the difference between a bellows and a bellows, Eshan. Yeah, obviously.
0: Well, my apprentice does. Right, he's he's the <laughs> one got, that works the bellows
1: i've got people for that <laughs> speaking of people <sighs> let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us yeah we do love hearing from you you can tweet at shane at mundangerous m-u-n dangerous and you can tweet at edition at evil sans carne that's malice minus meat and you can tweet at the show at TPTcast. you can also email us at total party thrill at gmail.com and you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrill.com
0: we're also on facebook and instagram at total
1: Alright, so this week we are building the bookworm.
0: Uh, Shane, how do you spell
1: bookworm? Uh, Book worm. W-Y-R-M.
0: Oh, of course. I see. So we're, we are some kind of paste-eating larva.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Mm-hmm, great. Uh, so are we a druid then we just keep turning into silkworms? Is that, is uh, that it? We are Done. not. <laughs> druid 20. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> druids, druids don't get uh, history, so it's a little difficult. Uh, okay, so what does the bookworm do? So the bookworm is a uh, uh, well, it's a dragon who just really likes knowledge. Isn't that just a dragon? Well, yeah, but like dragons have like hordes and like gold and stuff like that. But this is this is this is somebody who who embraces their draconic heritage, but embraces the hoarding of knowledge. Ishin.
0: Ah, okay. Sleeps on letters. Sleeps on. The smug satisfaction of knowing everything. (laughs) In my armchair here, (laughs) let me tell you what you should have done. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) Okay, what's the build? The build is Dragon Sorcerer 14, uh, Knowledge Cleric 1, Mastermind Rogue 5. Knowledge Cleric 1, here for obvious reasons, you get
0: very good cantrips like Guidance, which are which is pretty much uh, bread and butter for knowledge checks. Mm -hmm. And you get expertise in uh, two knowledge skills, history and religion, most likely.
1: Uh, You'll also get some useful level one cleric spells, a little bit of healing, um, bless those types of things then mastermind rogue five uh you're here for the expertises obviously so make sure you grab investigation so you can find information once you're in the library and then get either arcana or nature depending on sort of what most interests you um but note that you'll have to get those from your background because those aren't skills for the rogue
0: and maybe you take stealth because you want to be quiet because you're in the library
1: yeah that's very respectful uh, you'll also get cunning action, and then for a mastermind at third level, you get the master of intrigue, which I like a lot because it gives you proficiency in the forgery kit. Uh, so if you have to steal a page from a book in the library, you can always forge a replacement later, um, as well as disguise kit and gaming set, and two languages, which always helps in your research. I like gaming set because
0: how many times do you see those couched conversations over a game of chess in the park in front of the library? Uh, where you're actually meeting a contact. Plus, Disguise Kit just lets you be that person who is now uh, looking for different information than
1: uh, I, I mean, someone else was looking for previously. Well, with your ability to mimic speech patterns after observing them for a minute, then you can also pretend to be from a faraway place. I mean, that was their speech pattern. Did you not see me (laughs) flawlessly mimic it? I heard it.
0: (laughs) Uh, You get those two languages, I think... um, clerk gives you two as well. So you've got four additional languages, which is helpful because, you know,
1: not everything is going to be in common or English. It's always better to do the research in the original language.
0: Oh, absolutely. You don't want to trust those interpreters, which is actually a great plot hook, uh, finding the interpreter or finding the original text that was interpreted or translated, uh, you know, 8,000 years ago. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Um, then you'll get Master of Tactics, which lets you use um, your Cunning action to uh, take the Help action at a range of 30 feet. Uh, this is super helpful with a sorcerer who's always trying to maximize the use of their bonus action um, with spellcasting. Uh, you don't have to invest the points into Quicken Spell in order to um, still have a useful bonus action.
0: Yeah, and it also means you can just sort of run through the stacks. You know, helping people mm-hmm. who are doing research. Yeah. That's right. Just, Just tap shouting them on the information. shoulder.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Read faster!
1: Uh, and then in case anybody does tip over those stacks or throws the uh, proverbial book at you, you'll have Uncanny Dodge, uh, which lets you take a reaction to have damage from an attack.
0: I think that's definitely blocking a blow with a book.
1: A big, thick yeah. encyclopedia. Uh, well, uh, I don't know. I think it might be blocking the damage to the book with your body. <laughs> I only took half because I didn't save it all. <laughs> oh, I'm
0: I'm sorry, S A to S <laughs> U. Right. <laughs> From sorcerer you get spellcasting, meta magic, you get sorcery points. Um you also get turned into a more dragony kind of person, which yeah. makes sense
1: because you're a worm. Right. So you get scales and um all of that stuff that gives you extra HP, um, draconic resilience, and then you'll have always on mage armor. Uh, At 6th level, you get Elemental Affinity, which has been nerfed, so you only add Charisma to one damage roll um, from a spell, but, you know, it's still fine, still gives you a bonus. Um, And then you can also spend a Sorcery Point to give yourself resistance to your element um, for an hour. And level 14, nice little capstone, you get Dragon Wings, which lets you access all of those floating libraries. Or it lets you access the top level of the library tower. You know, everybody else is having to, like, circle around the outside like a lighthouse and you just fly straight up.
0: Yeah. You don't have to use those, uh, like, rolling ladders, which are a health hazard. Right. (laughs) Do you know how many librarians have died by falling off them or being pushed off them by assassins?
1: Right. (laughs) Being pushed off them by dragon-winged bookworms? (laughs)
0: All right, I'm glad to see the return of beginning at Rogue One. It's been way too long.
1: Yes. (laughs) So, yeah, start Rogue One, then I think uh, take your Cleric One. That'll give you all of those expertises and knowledge skills. You are now thoroughly uh, booky. Uh, And then I think you just begin your worm path. Um, You could take Sorcerer straight to 14 and then um, finish out Rogue. Or you can kind of alternate those levels however you want to. Take what's most exciting next. Um, There's no real rhyme or reason to how you take those 14 Sorcerer and four remaining Rogue levels. So, Ishan, who is your bookworm?
0: My bookworm uh, was a bookworm, right? Spent all of her time in the library dreaming about uh, adventures, but never really getting out there into the world. Um, You know, a little bit timid at first until, through her research, she realizes her draconic heritage. It was quite a day when she realized that the family she was reading about was actually her own, and lo and behold... They're descended from dragons. And so from there, what does her research turn to? But the forbidden section, where she learns how to unleash her draconic potential, becomes a sorcerer, starts slinging spells, and now is out in the world, flying around, still makes constant trips to the library because that is her
1: happy place. Oh, that's that's funny. I mean, not, not objectively funny, but just funny because it's, it's like kind of the same way I was going. Uh-oh. Well, tell me about your bookworm. So my bookworm similarly um you know believes in the value of knowledge and when uh he began manifesting his draconic heritage, um kind of became an amateur genealogist and now uh, has spends his time trying to trace and track down his draconic ancestor, a uh, uh, specific
0: which, ancestor.
1: Exactly. He wants to know exactly when his bloodline was, was merged with the Draconic bloodline and and how far back he can trace that.
0: Wait, so his his quest is to find his Draconic ancestor and be like, yo, when did you smash? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then also
1: like, why did you do this to me? I'm going to kill
0: you now. <laughs> uh, well, you know, in the meantime, he's just spending all his time on fantasyancestry.com. Right. Oh, <laughs> yeah. wow, half this stuff is
1: wrong. He's taking like <laughs> 623 in and me's, and every time he does it, he gets a different element. It's like, am I a red dragon or a cobalt dragon? <laughs> Fingers
0: crossed. Come on, gold, gold, gold. <laughs> mm, mm, well, fire. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. It's brass.
1: All right so before we wrap up we want to take a moment to thank our patreon supporters yeah your support
0: is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week so if you'd like to learn more you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash total party thrill
1: and i just want to say thank you to uh, the handful of new patrons that we've got in the last uh, month or so during the hashtag pod raising um, push Uh, i have also been um, following along pod raising and and giving some money to podcasts that i've been listening to for a long time so uh, we appreciate everybody who's taken the plunge and and joined recently as well as our longtime supporters
0: very happy to have all of you on board all right what do we
1: have planned for next week's episode we're talking about railroading (laughs) do we have to oh yeah absolutely i look i don't even get a choice you're just gonna force me to to do railroading this Uh is i'm being railroaded on this podcast <laughs> no
0: no you're not at all you have choices and options here shane you could take the left path or the right
1: path they all lead to episode 192 which is railroading <laughs> all right what are we doing in the character creation for
0: <laughs> well how do you think you're going to get to railroading we're building the iron horse
1: all right that's that's it for episode 191 of total party thrill i hope we lived up to our name but either way i'm shane and i'm ishan thanks for listening
0: Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Kobold Press. Want to learn the secrets of elven magic or blast your enemies with battle magic? Also, yep. What about building cunning mechanical servants with clockwork magic? Absolutely do I want to do that. Well, with the deep magic series from Kobold Press, it has all of this and more for 5th edition D&D. So, does it have
1: time magic? Oh, yes. Does it have rune magic? Loads. Does it have illumination? It's so bright. Are there nearly 20 PDFs and new ones coming out all the time? It's almost like you have this copy right in front of you. (laughs) It's almost like I know these things because I got it from the library. (laughs) So in the Deep Magic series, you will find new magic schools, you'll find sorcerer's origins, you'll find warlock patrons, you will find feats, you will find spells, you will find magic items, and much more. Uh, Aren't books great? I love books.
0: Yeah. I almost wish I could copy books very quickly, easily. So I have multiple copies, so I have multiple books, so I could sleep on them,
1: Uh, an entire bed full of books that I could print out. I just wish I could take my book in any form that I wanted it on any device so I could read it anywhere that I was. If only there were some
0: sort of portable document file type that would allow you to do such a thing. It's a format. Uh, mm, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Pretty sure I just invented a portable document file type. Oh, did you? Okay. (laughs) Tell me about GIFs. I believe they're GIFs. Oh, are they? (laughs) Yeah, graphical (laughs) (laughs) image file types. (laughs)
1: all right well if you if you'd like to learn more about magic and less about uh document types <laughs> you, you can pick up the deep magic series for fifth edition at www.cobaldpress.